As we approach uh, Easter Sunday in uh, several weeks from now, we're reminded that that is really a, a victorious occasion that we celebrate. But before we get to uh, to the cross, for the, to the empty tomb and celebrate that, uh, we're going to spend last week and this week uh, looking at the cross. Choir will be in, uh, in full concert for next week uh, with that musical um, uh, Victorious. And so, uh, we're preparing our hearts for this Easter season. And that's by looking at the cross. Last week we talked about the value of the cross. Today I want us to think about the, the wonder of the cross and ask you a question. You know, what comes to your mind when you think about the cross? And when I ask you that about the cross, I'm speaking about the cross of Christ. You know, what do you think of when you think about the cross of Christ? I'm not sure in which of his writings he's so prolific, uh, but Max Lucado wrote these words that I think are very profound. He said, when you think of the cross, what thoughts come to your mind? Steeples? Gold necklaces? Churches? Or do your thoughts go deeper? Do words like these come to mind? Jesus, nails, blood, pain, death, tomb. Tomb, empty, joy, promise, life, Savior. He says, the words of the cross, so full of pain, so full of passion, so full of promise, God's promise, His promise to you, His promise to do whatever it takes to save your soul. That's the wonder of the cross, isn't it? Whatever it takes to save your soul. And it took Jesus' death on the cross. Death by crucifixion was, uh, was the most awful means of execution that any society could have come up with. And the Roman government excelled in doing that. It was a very brutal form of punishment and painful. First of all, most of the, the, those who were being crucified went through a terrible time of being scourged. Uh, 39 lashes with a cat of nine tails. And that whip would have bits of bone or, or uh, uh, chunks of glass or something in it in which that would just help just tear the flesh off the back of the one who was going to be crucified. Oftentimes they struggled carrying their cross. Sometimes they even died through the flogging that they took. Then they would hang on the cross sometimes for hours because it was not meant to be uh, an easy death. But it was meant to be a painful, exaggerated death. And the Roman government did a great job of that. And our Lord Jesus Christ went to that cross. That's the cross that we're looking at. That's the cross that we're focusing upon as we think about um, uh, the wonder of the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross has become a symbol of hope, not just uh, something that uh, or is an ornate uh, decoration to our church building, to our steeple, to our, to our jewelry collection, or whatever it might be. But the cross is literally a symbol of hope for us. It's our only hope for getting out of this world alive. It's our only hope for the forgiveness of our sins. It's the only hope for eternal life with God. And there's some things that, uh, ways in which God has used the cross to remind us of those things. After uh, the tragedy of 9 11, immediately the next day, September 12th, workers went to work in there looking for survivors. And one of the first things that they discovered was this cross. Uh, it was uh, just a compilation, somehow, of the beams that were there, about 20 feet tall. And uh, it was a sense of awe and wonder for them. Now it stands there. Uh, at the monument for the World Trade Center. And it's a reminder that out of the most awful experiences of life comes hope. 
and a new life that comes to us as well. See, God has placed it there to remind us of that. God has also done a good job of that with placing that cross to remind us uh, of, of what it stands for and what He means to us in our life in various other ways. In our body, I think we've talked about this before, uh, but there is a, uh, let me see if I get this right, a basic protein molecule called laminin. And uh, it is here to maintain our metabolism in our bodies. And it's just so interesting that this is the way that geneticists and all would design that. Uh, because it literally is in a cross shape in our body. And this is a drawing of it. But it is, if you look at it in other forms, it's kind of a curved shape of that, but that's evidently a cross. And isn't that amazing? That God has placed that cross within us, and there we have it within us as a part of our life, that which is necessary for our life and to maintain our metabolism. Then we go to the world of outer space. The Hubble uh, telescope orbiting around the Earth in 1992, it took a picture of the center of, an, of the M51 Whirlpool Galaxy, which is 23 million light years from our galaxy. And it's a black hole. That's 11, 1,100 light years in width. And so, well, how, how far away is that? How big is that? Well, if you can travel at 186,234 miles per second, it would take you over a thousand years to get from one side to the other. Some scientists believe that black hole has been up there for over a million years. I look at it and I think it's almost like God saying, well, I'm glad you discovered this because you're finally here to see that my cross is overshadowing all of the world. That's the wonder of the cross, no matter where we see it. But the most amazing thing is, is that it's a miracle. As we read the story about the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross, His cross, we're going to look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, and we'll begin reading at verse 27. As you hear these words, I want you just to, to think about them with awe in your heart. And remember that this is the Son of God who is going through all of this. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around Him. They stripped Him and put a scarlet robe on Him, and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on His head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him, Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And there they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it he refused to drink it. When they had crucified Him, that's just an overwhelming sweeping statement that Matthew makes. When they had crucified Him, because none of the gory details of crucifixion are mentioned. Everybody who would read this back then would know that. But it's interesting in it. It just simply says, when they had crucified Him. Then the story continues. They divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down they kept watch over him there. Above his head they placed the written charge against him, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. 
He saved others, they said, but He can't save Himself. He's the King of Israel. Let Him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in Him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue Him now if He wants Him. For He said, I am the Son of God. In the same way the robbers who were crucified with Him also heaped insults on Him. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. In those words we see the wonder of the cross. And I think uh, if we look at it carefully we also see the miracle of the cross. There are some obvious things that are miraculous that we can see as we look at the cross. And then there's the last thing that we will look at that's not so obvious, but we have to understand it by faith. So let's first of all look at the miracles at the cross. Therefore, that I will mention. First of all, many passages of Scripture were fulfilled. For our time's sake, we'll only look at three of them. The first one. There's a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 50. He's talking about the suffering servant who would come, and that is Jesus. And listen to these prophetic words, 700 or more years before Jesus came along. And it says, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. See, the New Testament verifies here for us in the writing of Matthew's Gospel of some of the demeaning punishment that Jesus had to endure. Some of you guys have beards, goatees, different kinds of facial hair. You know, how would it feel if somebody comes up and says, is that real? And they start to pull on it. That wouldn't be very, that wouldn't be a very pain-free experience, would it? They pulled Jesus' beard. They spat on Him. Can you imagine that? All these, these horrible people uh, with horrible breath, and they were spitting on our Lord. And the prophecy is fulfilled in that. You know, spitting in somebody's face is one of the most detestable things you can do in any culture. And most of our states even have it punishable by law. Isn't that interesting? And that's what our Lord endured. Just some of the things that He endured. The second passage of Scripture that was fulfilled is in Psalm 24. And Psalm 24 is almost like Jesus is describing His crucifixion from the cross. But this was written thousands of years maybe before Jesus came. And the psalmist says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. 
They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Now you look at that in Psalm 22. It's written so long before Jesus came along. It was even written before the crucifixion had been invented as a form of execution. And here it is describing it in vivid detail. And look at what happened to Jesus. He said, all my bones are out of joint. I'm poured out like water. A band of evil men has encircled me. They pierced my hands and my feet. They nailed his hands and his feet to the cross. And then he says, they divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Do you really think the soldiers who were gambling at the foot of the cross for Jesus' clothes had the book of Psalms and they were looking at it and said, we got to fulfill prophecy now by gambling for his clothes? No. They were just doing it out of meanness because they said, let's get something out of it. And they were gambling at the foot of the cross. That's where I kind of think the stigma about gambling comes into play. That they were gambling at the foot of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as He died for our sins. But they were fulfilling Scripture when they did that. And then the third one is this. And it's about the fact that there were no broken bones. He said His, joint, his bones are out of joint, but they weren't broken. And in um, Exodus we find these words, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, These are the regulations for the Passover lamb. Do not break any of the bones. Jesus died as the Passover lamb. And the interesting thing is, amazingly, none of his bones were broken. That's affirmed in John 19 where it says, When they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. And those things took place to fulfill the promise that said, not one of his bones will be broken. And another scripture in Zechariah says, they will look on me the one they have pierced. So you really cannot imagine how terrible it was to die by crucifixion. It was not designed to be an easy death. In our country if we do that, it's by lethal injection the life is over. Electric chair, the, the current flows through and life is over. And that time with crucifixion it was meant to be torture, pain and ridicule. When the person was nailed to that cross they hung there in such a way that the nails through the wrist just put weight on the tendons and they tore them loose in the body. The diaphragm didn't operate properly and so they could not breathe properly. And the only way to get in a breath of air would be to take their, their feet that were nailed to the cross and push up a little bit. Take in a breath of air. And then to let it out they had to, they had to sink a little bit on the cross. And that put more pressure back on the arms, the wrists, the tendons. Well to keep them from going through that for so long sometimes when the people were crying out who were crucified, the criminals and crucified, uh, the soldiers would have to come and cut their tongues out so that they would stop their crying out. And then the other thing that they would do is that so that the people being crucified could not push up anymore while they were on the cross. They would come with an iron mallet and they would crush the kneecaps. And that brought on death quicker because then they would suffocate. It's interesting when they came to Jesus to break his bones in his legs, his kneecaps, they didn't have to do it. He had already died. Not a bone was broken. Prophecy was fulfilled. And the second thing that we notice is a miracle in here in the story is that darkness covered the earth. Jesus was nailed to the cross about 9 a.m. on Friday morning. For the next three hours there was a lot of activity. People were passing by. That's when they were hurling the insults at Jesus. If you're the Son of God, come down. If God really wants you to come down, He'll bring you down. You, you said you are the Son of God. If He wants you, let Him take you down. Then they wanted to wait and see if Elijah was going to come. But a strange thing happened. 
at noon. Darkness covered the entire land. Wasn't an eclipse, wasn't a dust storm, wasn't a thunderstorm. It was a supernatural darkness through the power of God. Just as there was a supernatural light at the birth of Christ that guided the, the Magi to the, to the place of Jesus' birth, there was a supernatural darkness at the death of Jesus. And it's in that darkness that Jesus cries out and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, the cry was the reason for the darkness. And the darkness was the reason for the cry. Because for the first time in his life, since the beginning of beginning, Jesus Christ, who had always had intimate fellowship, one with God the Father, was separated from his Father for the first time in his life. And he was separated from God the Father because as he was nailed to that cross, he not only took on our sins, but he literally became sin on our behalf. All the sins of all people of all the world, right? Murder, stealing, lying, adultery, all of those things, all of those for all people for all times were placed on Jesus, and he literally became sin for us. And at that moment, God could not look on him any longer. Habakkuk 1.13 says, the Bible says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil, you cannot tolerate wrong. Jesus hung there suspended between heaven and earth, and He died alone. Third miracle that we see is that the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. The temple was only about 300 yards away. And there were two specific areas there. There, were, uh, there was the most holy place where they would offer sacrifices on a regular basis. And then there was the Holy of Holies in which only the high priest was allowed to go one day out of the year on the Day of Atonement and make the ultimate sacrifice. What separated them was this curtain, 60 feet tall, 30 feet wide, thicker than a man's hand, heavy as it hung there. Nobody could have torn it. Nobody could have ripped that. And yet when Jesus died, that curtain was torn in half from top to bottom, and for a specific reason. It simply said that you don't have to be separated from God anymore. You don't have to come to God with any more animal sacrifices of a lamb or anything else. Because Jesus Christ has died on the cross as the ultimate sacrifice for you. It's only His blood shed on that cross that allows the forgiveness of your sins. And now the pathway to fellowship and relationship with God is wide open because Jesus died for you. And that's why the, the temple curtain was torn in two. From top to bottom God did it, not man. And then the fourth miracle we see uh, is, that, is that as Jesus died... While that temple curtain was being torn, an earthquake happened. And I'm sure that earthquake was something that frightened the people. Because they knew their Old Testament history and they knew that when the earthquakes took place it was God doing something to reveal Himself in a very special way. And this time the interesting thing is that when the earthquake took place tombs were open. And this has been one of the most confusing portions of this entire story for a long time. I hope I can, one lady came out after 845 and said, you answered a question I've had for years. I hope I answer it for you. But the Scripture says that these people, holy people, were raised. After Jesus' resurrection they went into the city. So who were these people? They were probably followers of Jesus. And they died before Jesus' crucifixion. And they had been buried. 
But they were not resurrected. If you were resurrected as Jesus was, you never die again. When Jesus comes to claim the church, all the dead in Christ will rise first. We get our spiritual body, we are resurrected, we never die again. But just like Lazarus, when Jesus brought him back from the dead, these people were brought back to life. They were raised to life. And they would eventually die again. But when the earthquake by God took place, these tombs were open and these people came back to life and they went into the city and they witnessed, I would think, for about the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What a miraculous miracle to take place. We can see it. We can see those miracles. They were there for all to be seen. Of course, I think you have to take the perspective that we have now for many years being removed from that to be able to understand the fulfillment of prophecy, why the curtain was torn, why the darkness came, and why those graves were opened and the people were raised to life again. But the ultimate miracle of the, of the cross is one that you necessarily can't see, but you have to understand it and accept it by faith. So, that's the second thing we look at today, and that's the miracle of the cross. See, the main miracle of the cross was that Jesus did take the punishment for our sins. He was sinless. We, on the other hand, we're sinful. And Jesus went to the cross as the only hope for our salvation, for our redemption, for our forgiveness from our sins. And the only way that we escape hell is spend eternity in heaven with God. You see, Jesus experienced all the hell on the cross that we could experience for eternity. And we ask, well, what is hell like? Well, from the Bible I think it tells us at least three things. First of all, hell is going to be permanent torment. And Jesus went through torment and torture and agony as He hung on that cross. Secondly, hell is a place that is described as being separation from God. And when Jesus ultimately became sin on that cross with the full weight of all that sin hit Him, He was separated from God. And He cried out, My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? When you spend eternity in hell you are separated from God and you are in agony. And the third thing described about hell is that it is a place of utter darkness. And that's why the darkness came during that midday time, mysteriously and miraculously by the power of God. It was a foretaste to say that this is a part of the hell that Jesus Christ is enduring for you so that you don't ever have to experience it. You see, in those six hours that Jesus was on the cross, He suffered what you and I would have to bear for all eternity if there was no hope of us escaping hell. So, all the sin of the world was placed on Him. The Apostle Paul says, God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me ask you a question today. How many of you would say that you are righteous? How many of you would say you are righteous? Hmm, okay. Now, let me ask you a question. Second question. How many of you are planning on going to heaven? Let's see those hands. How many of you are planning on going to heaven? The only way you can go to heaven is to be righteous. How, how can you tell me you are not righteous but you plan on going to heaven? Huh? Listen to what Paul says. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. See, there is only one way to be righteous in the sight of God. 
on our own, the Bible says our righteousness is like nothing but filthy rags in the sight of God. But when we embrace Jesus Christ as our Savior and our only hope for salvation, then the Bible says that because He took our sin and because He took our place, we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And God doesn't look down on us and see our sin. He looks down at us and He sees the righteousness of Christ. Now, if you're in Christ, what are you? You're righteous. How many of you are righteous? Let's see it. Uh, how many of you are going to heaven? All right. Those of you who haven't raised your hand, you need to talk to me afterwards, or you need to make a decision today. This is the offer of salvation. This is the wonder of the cross, the miracle of what Jesus is doing. This is the only way that you can be made righteous, and so you can have fellowship with God and a relationship with God. Historians tell us that Martin Luther, the leader of the Reformation movement, once had a friend who just couldn't, simply could not accept the fact that God would send his son Jesus to die on the cross for his sins. So he spent a long portion of his life trying to do everything that he could to earn his righteousness. And this is what Martin Luther wrote to him. And I think it's, it, it, it's well worded for us today. Martin Luther wrote to him and said, Learn to know Christ and Him crucified. Learn to sing to Him and say, Lord Jesus, You are my righteousness. You took on You what was mine. You set on me what was Yours. You became what You were not, that I might become what I was not. Now, isn't that beautiful? That is absolutely marvelous. And that's the miracle of the cross. That's why God sent Jesus into this world. He came to be our substitute. He came to experience what we would not have to experience because of Him. He came and gave up Himself so that we could be into the kingdom of God. He experienced torment and agony so that we wouldn't have to as long as we trust in Him. He gave up His righteousness on the cross so that we could be made righteous in the sight of God. That's something about the wonder of the cross. And maybe you wonder through all the circumstances, and it, you can play with your mind and wonder, you know, about all the things that took place. If Judas hadn't betrayed him, what would have happened? You know, if Peter hadn't denied him, what would have happened? If the chief priest hadn't been so blind to the scriptures and known the prophecies that were being fulfilled, what would have happened? You know, what if the people had chosen Barabbas to be released instead of sending Jesus? to the cross. If they had chosen Jerabbas to go to the cross and send Jesus to be released. You know, what would have happened? Well, you know, we think about all of that and you have to say, no, this was all planned. Hey, God had it from the beginning. And you, and you look over in, 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 in Revelation uh, chapter 13 verse 8, and this is what the passage of Scripture says. It says, all inhabitants, inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. Now, don't get hung up on those. You've got to put all the book of Revelation together to understand that. But listen to the next phrase. Who is that going to do that? All whose names have not been written in the book of life, now catch this part, belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. See, oftentimes we look and we think, where was Jesus crucified? When was He crucified? 2,000 years or so ago. And that's true. But it's also true that from the foundation of the creation of the world, from the beginning of the beginning of time, Jesus Christ was crucified. It was in the mind and heart of God to send Him, knowing that we would need a Savior. 
That's the miracle and the wonder of the cross. We've looked at a couple of examples of the way that God has reminded us uh, about the cross. 9-11 monument, the laminin that's within our body, that black hole that's out there, the M51 galaxy. Let's still look at one more as we close. In 1873, the English artist William Holman Hunt painted this fascinating picture entitled The Shadow of Death. It depicts Jesus as a carpenter at the end of the work day. He's been over that carpenter's bench in his workshop perhaps all day, no matter no telling what he was making. But he's stretching at the end of the day, relieving the soreness, getting the kinks out of his muscles, you know, stretching out that back after a long day of work. And it just so happens as the setting sun catches his body like that, as you see the silhouette behind him, it looks exactly like Jesus pictured on the cross. And you look at Mary, and you see Mary there. She's kneeling. She has her face turned away from her son. Because as she sees that shadow on the wall, she understands the fulfillment of prophecy and what awaits her son. She knew what he would endure. The humiliation, the agony, and ultimately the death as he would die for her sins, for my sins, for your sins, and for the sins of the world. So when you think about the cross, how deep do you go in your thoughts? Is it just ornamentation for a church? Is it just a piece of jewelry you wear? Or do you think about Jesus? And you think about nails? And you think about thorns? And you think about death? That Jesus died on that cross for you because of your sins. And if you are not righteous in the sight of God today through the robes of Jesus Christ and His righteousness and His blood shed for you, then you need to make a decision to accept Him today. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, remember you are clothed in the righteousness of God. And you are on your way to heaven. And it is all because of the wonder of the cross. So as we anticipate celebrating Easter in two weeks, remember that Jesus had to go to the cross before He could be resurrected. And we'll talk about the implications of that on Easter morning and the hope that that brings. But if you're without Christ today, I want you to hear this. You're without hope. But the hope is here because Jesus went to the cross and He died. He died that horrible death for you and your sins. If you need to accept Him, then today I pray that you would just open your heart and say, Lord Jesus, I believe that what You did was, was a sacrifice for my sins. And I believe that you did it and suffered all of that on the cross so that I wouldn't have to suffer in hell. And I accept what you did as worthy of my salvation. And I claim that today. Father, we bow before you today and we thank you for the love that you had in sending to us your only Son, Jesus Christ, who would willingly lay down his life knowing that. He was a sacrifice for the sins of all the world and also knowing that because He would take it up again. And so we stand today in awe of the wonder of the cross and the miracle of salvation that is offered to us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And Father I pray in the name of Christ that we will all be captured by the wonder of the cross and the salvation that is offered. And that there will be those who will commit their life to Christ today and those who are believers who will live differently because of the cross. 
because we're to be righteous in your sight. And Father, I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, who died on the cross for our sins. Amen.